When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate. You call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people if they can become something more. Like the battles that we never could. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Chris Bruffett. How are you doing today, Chris? Jesse, I'm feeling good, ready to record this episode. Excited. How are you, man? I'm doing very well. I'm happy to say the weather like I talked about in the last couple episodes, it's, mm-hmm. it's finally gone. My pipes are fixed. The batteries in our vehicles died as well. I don't think I mentioned that. It's been a, it's been a rough month or so here. We've been kind of stabilizing, getting back on our feet. But now that all that's, you know, passed, I mean, the way I look at it is I have new batteries, new pipes. People made it through. Like I said, some of our friends lived with us because they were, didn't have power and all that stuff. So you're all set for the next one then. That's how it goes, man. But other than that, I've actually been trying to play more games lately, which has been nice. Been playing games on TTS and in person occasionally. MCP, of course, but been changing up, getting back into some of my old loves that Chris knows very well. uh, Star Wars Legion and Blitz Bowl, which has been a great, great time. Also, I've started playing in a Mice and Mystics campaign, which is something I wanted to do for a very long time, which is a narrative game in the Mouse Guard universe by Plat Hat Games. I am very jealous of that. Yeah, developed by Jerry Hawthorne, who's a wonderful narrative developer, and I want to learn everything I can from him. Just like how you develop a narrative like this. It's just so interesting. But I'm excited to start that. It's just so funny, like all those things, all those games I'm talking about, those are all those couple people in our quarantine circle, you know? And that's just the way of the world right now. And I I think it's it's just the smart way to go, you know? And it's like I only see a couple people, period. outside of my family. And I'm lucky that a couple of those people are my gaming friends and we get to do some gaming at least every couple weeks. So that's something I've been really enjoying. Also, Chris, getting back into MCP for real, because as the whole world knows, and as you know, and anyone listening to the podcast has experienced this, we've had such a slew of content for MCP, like 70 models, like we talked about, all this new content coming up with the OP kits, like the Infinity League kit coming out soon. And we just couldn't play any of it except on TTS. And I'm just really happy to get models on the table and just have fun, you know, not be competitive, just play characters I want to play. Not have to worry about it. Pop some beers with the boys. 
field a team from the last comic you read. Maybe you want to field the last Avengers team you just read. I mean, that's what this game is for, man. Absolutely. Maybe you have an overwhelming desire to get Vision back on the table like I do because you're so invested in WandaVision and just love the character more than you thought you did before. These are things that MCP fulfills, Chris. Like You can play Vision on any team in the Marvel Universe in this game, and it works not only mechanically, but it works even competitively. Vision's a great character. He fits a lot of places. If you learn how to use him well and you enjoy his character, why not play him in all your rosters? There's no reason not to. Absolutely. Also, for listeners at home, if none of you saw on our social media, I reposted the episode I did with Charles. That's Omnis from Omnis Protocol, Chris and I's personal favorite strategic MCP podcast. I got to be a part of Omnis's show and explore the new Battle Realm format. So Battle Realm is a format that Chris and I get into on our show in the future, but it's one of those new formats they released for the game, Chris. And, you know, that's the new format where you do a draft before your actual crisis selection. And I think it's so interesting. I'm still learning it. I'm still intrigued by it. And Omnis taught me a lot about it. And I think if you go to his feed and listen to that episode that I'm on, which I'll link in the show notes below, you can kind of hear our thought process on how do you build a Battle Realms team differently from a normal standard 10 model crisis regular format team. I think it's really interesting. And Chris, I'm going to give a little spoiler on how my bands in the draft go for Battle Realm format. My first band's probably MODOK. A lot. <laughs> Personally. So if they have a MODOK in their roster, I'm probably going to ban him. But maybe not. I, I think there's a lot of variability. And what's interesting about this format is if you don't bring a couple leaders, someone could possibly ban your only leader as a first band. And then you're kind of in a different situation entirely. It really feels like the uh, ban and pick phase from a MOBA to me. I've compared Absolutely. this game to MOBAs in, in a few ways over the year now. But yeah, this just really feels that way to me. Absolutely. Chris and I have a lot of experience playing MOBAs, especially with each other and on teams. And personally, the draft is one of my favorite parts, Chris, and being flexible in your play. Like if they Absolutely. ban some of your main characters... Well, which way do you go? And that's something unique this Battle Realm format brings. It also makes a lot of characters that are considered less viable more viable. You know, if the competitive community's consensus is that Valkyrie is without a doubt one of the best three threats in the game and she is now banned for the match, that just opened up a lot of avenues for lesser played three threats like maybe Ant-Man and Wasp. And I think that's great. It's wonderful. It keeps things fresh. It keeps people thinking and it keeps other characters alive and relevant. I'm super excited for it. Absolutely, Chris. So you and I will return to the Battle Realm format more in the future when we've just learned more about it, experienced more of it, and kind of have our own feel for it as well. It's still a new and evolving thing, even in the super competitive community. And, you know, something we'll return to in the future, but we've got a lot of news to talk today, Chris. So let's just start with the news. So I love that Atomic Mass made an announcement titled let the complaining begin we know you're all excited to get your hands on deadpool and bob cable and domino and luke cage and iron fist and sin and viper unfortunately due to unforeseen transit delays these products will now be released in the united states in may they will still release in april for the rest of the world we'll provide additional updates as we have them thank you for your patience so chris something i really love about amg they are so 
open, honest, transparent, and just vocal. They've already done this with Legion almost more than FFG did it the entire time they had Star Wars Legion. They've already announced that the new specialist packs for the droids and clones and Legion is delayed. They've talked about dates that are just being delayed to. Just completely open. And I just love it because in the past, when I played all the Star Wars games competitively, if something was delayed, it wasn't announced by FFG. It was found out by the community. And then you had to kind of dive deep into their shipment page. Is it on the barge? Has it not made on the barge yet? Is it at transit? Is it at customs? And you just never knew when your new models were going to be in for X-Wing or Imperial Assault or Legion or Armada. AMG's just up front, man. And I think this is great. My final thought on this before I pass this to you is just, isn't it nice that we get another month to breathe? And I say that in a good way because I want to dive into the Inhumans for real. And I think this is going to give us a chance to do it. First off... Just props to AMG for being so open and upfront on something that people are honestly going to be upset about. True. The fact that that they are this honest just builds capital with me. Like, I just trust them more every time they get something right like this. It is a bummer because I'm very much looking forward to Cable and Domino and Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Of course. So, you know good with the bad i i suppose but as far as going like having a little bit of time to breathe absolutely i have not gotten to play as i've wanted to recently and so i feel very behind on characters i need to get on the field so hopefully this gives me a little bit of a chance to catch up yeah absolutely i've only played a force once for instance and i really want to dive into these type of teams and stuff more i'm really looking forward to it they're number one on my list there you go. And they are a wonderful roster, which we'll get to a bit later in strategy. But yeah, Chris, I mean, overall, it's a bummer because you and I obviously are super hyped for Cable in particular and the X-Force affiliation. But, you know, delaying another affiliation to the game is actually, I think, really healthy for the meta too. It's give us some time to settle, experience this new version of Asgard with the new Asgardians, A-Force existing period, and also the Inhumans existing period. These are brand new affiliations. Asgard's kind of been revitalized. You know, the Guardians got Angela now. There's a lot of new content in the game that we haven't fully experienced and let settle. And I think having some time off is helpful. And we talk about time off. So the month of March, there's only one release, and that's the Infinity War League kit. That's an OP kit that's releasing in stores where you can go to the store and play through this Infinity War story. So I think that's actually really great too. It's going to give people time to either pick it up and play it at home or maybe go to a store that's implementing, you know, state regulated safe distancing and events, you know, small events and play through that Infinity League kit that we heard about back at Gen Con that we've been excited to play. And, you know, that gives that its month to shine. And then April will be a month off and then May will get a crazy amount of releases. Okay. This is eight model month, Chris. So I really don't view April as a month off. I just pretend that April would have been four models and that May would have been four models. So March is the real month off to go experience that narrative event. I'm excited to experience that narrative event. I'm not excited for eight models in one month, but you know, like I said, good with the bad. It's true. And you know, these eight models, Chris, I mean, I'm assuming Sin and Viper are going to open up some some threat on some villain teams that currently exist. We don't know exactly know where they fit. Luke Cage and Iron Fist, we know are defenders. We obviously know that Cable and Domino and Deadpool are X-Force. And then Bob, I don't know where the man's going to fit, but he's going to be probably a lot of places. So it's good that we have time. Get caught up on your models. 
enjoy this time. Chris and I are going to enjoy this time and pump out some episodes and, you know, dive into characters that are leading up to these characters, of course. So it's something I'm really looking forward to. So Chris, I mentioned Luke Cage and Iron Fist. We finally saw their models and we also saw one of their cards. So you being the resident Luke Cage and Iron Fist fan, I just got to hear your thoughts now that they've been fully announced that we've seen the models and that we kind of have seen their first tactics cards, which once again, I think is such a cool tactics card where it's like Luke Cage or Iron Fist can use the card. But what do you think about just the reveal of their models and everything? Honestly, I'm not super thrilled with the Iron Fist model. There's just something about the pose that doesn't really resonate with me. Hopefully it will grow on me in person. I'm going to have it either way. It's fine. Like it's still good. It's just not as good as some of the other things. As far as the card goes, this is very cool. (laughs) I'm going to say thematic for these characters. Well, it's absolutely thematic, but it's also very fun, which is also thematic because they're supposed to be, you know, they're, they're supposed to be kind of fun when they're hanging out together. It's a bodyguard card for them that's a one-time use where Cap kind of does bodyguard when he's near people. They kind of teleport up and bodyguard the attack onto them. And what's crazy, Chris, is after the attack is resolved, they just get to do a size three, throw the character away short after the attack is resolved. So not only are they taking the attack on them, saving one of your maybe squishier or weakened characters, but also now you got a free throw out of it. It's very fitting of these characters kind of being the brawlers they are. Oh, and I imagine... Luke Cage is going to be using this card more often than Iron Fist, but right, goodness, it, it could be very useful to get Iron Fist up into combat, maybe. I'm assuming Iron Fist is going to have a large dice pool attack, so maybe you could use this to get him up into the fray and get that thing off. We'll see. Yeah, and I'm assuming, too, they're going to be characters that have you know, shorter ranges on their attacks because they're known for, of course, right. their brawling and their martial arts, not their big guns or their ranged attacks, but time will tell. We'll see. But I do think it's really neat, Chris. I'm a big fan of both models. I'm not really as big of a fan of these characters aesthetically, but I appreciate that the models are giving me the vibes of these characters completely. I mean, Luke Cage is his arms are crossed and he's crushing a giant pipe under his feet. I mean, it's probably one of the most Luke Cage things I've ever seen. A lot of people are on the fence about the Iron Fist, and I understand that. I think it's going to be more, we have to see it in person, but man, is that dragon impressive. I was not expecting them to go maybe that route, and it's kind of cool because that's the type of thing AMG does that no other company that's done superhero games has ever been willing to do. Like these big, basically massive representations of their power coming out sometimes. And this is obviously a more adventurous version of that with the dragon, but I'm curious to see it in person and, you know, how they pull it off. What, what's the dragon? Is it made out of the same materials? I, I don't even know. I'm interested, though. Well, you're going to find out soon. That and seven of his buddies are coming to your house. <laughs> Also, Chris, you know, I think in a normal Atomic Mass fashion, two characters I care less about on the lore side, I'm probably going to care a lot more about because I'm just going to enjoy them on the table. I'm going to dive more into their lore. I'm going to just experience the characters and fall more in love with Marvel. And Atomic Mass is really good at doing that. Well, I've been telling you to read Immortal Iron Fist for years now, so... It's true. Hopefully it finally happens. I'll do it. But Chris, we've got to move on. We saved the best for last. And I say the best for last because we have an actual card, Chris, so we can kind of dive into this. But we finally got Deadpool's card, 
Wade Wilson, the model that we're going to see all over the game. We knew he was coming and now we have the information. So just going over his stats really briefly, Chris, and then I'm going to get your kind of initial thoughts. He's only four stamina on his front, but he's six on the back. So he's 10 total, which is normal for a three threat. And he's a three threat. It's just so interesting that his front is super low and his back super high for a three threat. He's a medium mover and a height of two, exactly the same as all of the three threats on the average stat line. And his defenses are three physical, three energy, four mystic. What's really interesting to me, Chris, thematically here, he's the switch from Sabretooth and Wolverine. His mystic is a lot stronger because essentially his brain is gone and he just cannot be affected by mystic attacks. And they're the opposite. They've been messed with right up to the breaking point, especially Logan. Logan's more prone to mystic attacks. But what do you think about Deadpool's just basic stats? Well, first off, I'm very excited that he's a three threat character. You and I had this discussion. It's true. I never thought his power set warranted being above a three threat character character okay no matter how popular he is even if he's your favorite character he is not omega level he is not no as powerful as i mean even say cable cable would destroy him <laughs> it's true but i'm very happy with this card i want to pursue that path for a second chris i want to give you the the praise where it's it's met here because you wanted logan to be roughly around three threat. And your original argument for that was, I want Logan to be the tankiest three threat because he's all about his grit more than he is about his superpowers. They inevitably went the four threat route with Logan, which I do agree with in the long run after we saw his card. But it turns out your original theory on Logan, they definitely applied to Deadpool because this is not a normal three threat character, Chris. No, I really wasn't sure how they were going to do Deadpool, but once again, AMG, they did it. Anything they say they're going to do, I'm going to trust them immediately because they continue to surprise me. And I'm in love with the way they've done this because he is really a gamble. I like that. Yeah. He's a gamble and he's also really, you got to use him right, Chris, right? He's a nuisance right. for your opponent. He almost feels oppressive when you use him right. Like he feels like a four threat, right? In the right hands. But once again, you just use the word gamble. If he's used wrong, you might be getting two threat value out of him potentially, if that makes sense. Exactly. That fits the character. It's perfect. And <laughs> it plays right into the reasons they have his mystic defense the way it is. He is, he's crazy. And. <laughs> Am I looking too far into it when it's three, three, four that he breaks the fourth wall? Whoa. I don't know. Well, before we get into his attacks and superpowers, Chris, I do want to say we did have a good discussion about Deadpool last episode about the chimichanga, that sort of third crisis in the game, that fourth wall breaking sort of thing where he's got his own little mini game. I think it's even better than we thought it was because obviously him with the chimichanga getting benefits, staying alive, holding onto it is going to be really good. Let's do a quick pass on Deadpool. So he has his Katana attack, which of course is his range two strike. It's a strength of five, which is really nice for a power cost of zero and he gains power equal to the damage dealt. But he also has his pistols. What's interesting about his pistols, Chris, is they are range four and only four dice. And this is similar to Black Widow, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and of course Punisher's pistol attack, but it has a nice twist. After the attack is resolved, this character may make another bang attack. The additional attack must target the original target character. The special rule may be only triggered by the first bang attack. Each action. So you shoot the guns with these four dice, and if you get a wild and a hit, you get to shoot them again, which is super interesting. And if you get wild hit crit, you get to shoot them again. So it's only four dice, but if you're gambling in a way, as Chris said, 
If you get a good roll early on, you'll get to shoot them with four dice again. And if you get a really good roll on that second one, you get to shoot four dice again, potentially shooting 12 dice into one character. Now, not 12 dice, one pool, that'd be too strong, but four, 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 then making, of course, defense saves every time. It's pretty neat. It fits the character. It's zero power cost. And then, of course, he has another range to six strength attack, which is his spender cost three. After the attack is resolved, the target character gains bleed and slow, which, of course, is very thematic of Deadpool. And on his backside, that spender attack turns into a four cost spender attack called maximum effort. That is also range two, but now it's seven dice. And then it has a wild trigger dance party. After this attack is resolved, Deadpool may advance short. After this advance, each character within range two of Deadpool suffers one damage and Deadpool gains one power for each damage dealt this way. So on his backside, Chris, He's got a really cool, like, get into the fray and katana slash a lot of people around him with his two blades. And I think that's really scary late game if he's fed. I think it's going to be really fun. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. I'm a huge fan of this character playstyle wise. I'm really looking forward to these gamble mechanics. But let's just talk about his superpowers real quick and then kind of we'll wrap up the discussion. But he's got an active superpower, which is Merc with a Mouth. Choosing a character within range three of Deadpool, it loses two power. A character may be affected by the superpower only once per round. So Deadpool can spin three to take two power off of somebody just by him trash talking them essentially and annoying them. I've been wondering when this mechanic was going to come into the game. And we've we've had a couple of power saps that have triggered off wilds and things like that. Right. But now it is an active superpower. It just happens. You can just make it happen if you have have the cost. Yeah, it's it's very exciting that we've hit this point. It's even more exciting, Chris, because he doesn't really have a lot of great ways to gain power. He doesn't gain power off his gamble bang bang attack, and he gains power off of just his five dice katana slash, but that's it. So this is not going to be oppressive, but when he uses it, it's going to be a crucial time. And I think everyone will save power on Deadpool to use this because this is just absolutely crippling on a higher threat model. Like you're taking power off a MODOK or a Doctor Strange or even a Corvus Glaive or a Thanos or somebody. It's really annoying to them. And also Deadpool's got some innate abilities, which is great. He's got I Know Karate, which is he re-rolls one die in every attack and defense pool. So it's giving his attacks more consistency. It's giving his defense more consistency. If you hit on all of those bangs... Man, that's one dice out of every one of those pools. Right. That lets you gamble more yourself, right, Chris, to maybe get the the bang results you want. Exactly. But also cannot be understated. It's almost like it gives him an extra half dice or full dice more on all of his defenses. So you really don't want to attack him with mystic attacks because he's got four dice with a reroll on mystic. That's looking at five dice defense on mystic. It's getting pretty interesting. And of course, our favorite part we talked about last time, which I think is incredible, unicorns, rainbows, and sugar plums dancing through my head. Deadpool cannot be pushed or advanced by effects from mystic attacks or enemy superpowers. So that bow to the will of Modok, Doctor Strange's attacks that move characters, he's not affected by any of that. He's planting his feet, and of course he has healing factor too. So Chris, he's going to be a problem when he gets to be where he wants to be. Of course he has to get there. Well, there's ways to get him there. The game has changed a lot in the year or so it's been around, and you can now find ways to get Deadpool there. Yeah, year and a half of models, uh, and we got Lockjaw. So there you go. Exactly. I'm a huge fan of this. I think he's going to fit a lot of places, Chris. And what's funny is he's not a rogue agent, which I think is the right design space choice. I could see him being a rogue agent. Parts of me were thinking he might go that route, but then if he was a rogue agent, I mean... 
it's Deadpool at three threat. He's already going to be in most rosters. I mean, if he's a rogue agent, he'd just be in every team, maybe. <laughs> that's that's probably not good for the game, <laughs> for variety. I think AMG nailed it as well with the three threat designation on this character because a lot of people are going to want to use him just because he is their favorite character. I'm sure this character just itself will get some people into the game. Because of that, his, his floor is pretty high. It's not too hard to see what you need to be doing with this character. And once you understand how healing factor works, you know, it's pretty, it's printed right there for you what what to do with him and how it all works. I think it's really smart by AMG because that floor on this character is so high. He is going to be in so many teams and so many new players are going to be drawn to this character that they've made him effective without being overly complicated. I couldn't agree more, Chris. Great points. And also my final thought on that is like, if Logan and Sabretooth were three threat, I think it would be oppressive. Even if they took some sort of hits on maybe their stamina or their superpowers in some way, I kind of like that they bridged the gap and made our third healing factor character less effective at what he does, but can fit more places. And he also has healing factor, which is of course a huge wrench in the whole situation for your opponent. But I do like that Deadpool got the three threat slot and Sabretooth and Logan stayed at four. I think it's actually a really nice design decision. And I think it makes Logan and Sabretooth feel even more impactful when they do show up on the table. And like you said, it makes Deadpool have more finesse than you would think. You know, you've really got to do it right. And I'm I'm a big fan of that. What's funny though, Chris, is I look at his card here. I look at the way he's designed and I'm just like, this man can fit on any team in this game and benefit essentially. <laughs> like he's a great member of the cabal. He's a fine Avenger. I mean, Merc with the mouth for two is annoying. Oh yeah. I think he's a fine guardian, like just fitting with their swarm tactics where they want to go three threats and two threats only for the most part. Asgard, he's healing on top of his heal with Asgard and removing conditions. There's a lot of places he fits just off the top of your head. And I think it's all intentional. Like, it's not that he's overpowered in those places. It's just that he's a versatile three threat that, if played right, essentially fits everywhere. And I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's a really good design space. Like, moving him around with Storm's leadership or giving him extra power from the Brotherhood, these are all things that fit, too. And I'm really looking forward to Cable's leadership and the X-Force affiliation, which hopefully we might have soon and we can talk about. But I'm just curious how Cable and him interact in particular, because we do know that Deadpool's on the X-Force team so far. That's all we know. But I'm looking forward to knowing more. It's going to be fun to talk about. It's going to be exciting to see how they implement these characters' lures and power sets and everything. I'm, I know I say this all the time, but I'm, I'm excited for it. I am too, Chris. And most importantly, you and I are both doing our Deadpool in the same color scheme, chosen by Chris, of course. And that's, of course, the X-Force scheme because it's just clean. It looks nice on this character. Oh, yeah. And Uncanny X-Force is one of my favorite favorite comic runs ever. So any model in Crisis Protocol that I can paint in those colors fits canonically, I'm going to do it as a tribute to that run. Hey, I'm a big fan. And also, Chris, like to back you up on that is there's a lot of great striking characters in this game that have red suits. So why not 
make him one of his alternate suits than his red suit because, you know, we already do have a lot of characters in red suits. So that's the back side of that too. And I, I, I think it's all valid, but ultimately go the route you want to go because I think Deadpool's going to be one of the first characters in the game. You can really do that. You can build him with any eyes or any poses you want. And then of course, go the costume that speaks to you. But I'm really looking forward to this character. We will get to play him hopefully in May and I can't wait. But Chris, we're not here to talk about Deadpool today, even though that was a fun discussion. We were going to save him for a future episode. Today on Fury's Finest, we're going to be following up with last episode about Ant-Man and discussing the Wasp. Let's just get into it. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games, Inc. Go to DiscountGamesInc.com for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy this show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution. We'd like to thank all of our patrons for their support. This week, it is a very big and special thank you to Jesse M. Jesse, thank you so much, man. We appreciate it very, very much. Thank you so much. And I'm going to echo a previous Chris comment, patron with a great name. (laughs) And of course, we cannot forget to thank our Avenger producer, Matthew R. Matthew, you make this show happen. If you guys want to check out the Patreon, it really helps the show continue. We've got a lot of things planned for this year and we can do them through the Patreon. So the more the Patreon takes off, we can pursue these things. I'm really looking forward to the world getting back to normal and us pursuing content like streaming, like video content, like more podcasts, like more commentary series. And the only way we can do that is through the Patreon. So patrons that are helping us do that, thank you. And to all of our future patrons, thank you for your support. Thanks, guys. Well, guys, it is time to dive into another legacy character. It is Jeanette Van Dyne. It is the Wasp. And we're going to start by asking who is the Wasp. And Jeanette is a very interesting character she's gone through a lot and not all of it's been pleasant she's gone through early forms of spousal abuse and since she's been around in this from the 60s you've seen the whole attitude about her change just because she's a woman very interesting character arc i like the character quite a bit in a lot of ways it's more of the story of the character coming to be and how she's changed through the years and the outside forces and what she's represented more so than it is the actual storylines the character has been involved in. Jeanette Van Dyne debuted in Tales to Astonish number 44. It's by Stan Lee, H.E. Huntley, and drawn, of course, by Jack Kirby. And that was in June of 19. 19- 63. Jeanette makes use of cellular implantations of subatomic PIM particles for her size-altering powers. She can grow large and she can grow small. When she grows small, anything under four feet, her body is genetically modified to sprout those wings so she can fly. And she can fly around 40 miles Per hour. Her strength increases when she gets smaller because her muscle mass becomes more dense, but it also increases when she grows in size, something that she does not do very often. For most of the character's history, growing instead of shrinking has come at a at a cost. She usually has various health concerns and it's kind of dangerous, but her strength does grow proportionally with her size as well. So no matter what she does, she's getting stronger. 
at one point, she will be able to harness natural bioelectric energy and release it from her hand. She calls this her stinger blasts, kind of similar to Miles's venom blast. Oh, yes. And due to her early exposure and excessive exposure to pin particles, she no longer needs actual pin particles to use her powers. She can do it naturally. On top of all these powers, she is an excellent leader. She is a world leader on fashion design. She's been trained in unarmed combat by Captain America and uh, in combat using her powers by Henry Pym. She is one of the most intuitive and deductive members of the Avengers. All right, so we've talked about her powers. We've talked about what she's good at, what she can do. Let's get into her history. Jeanette was born in Cresskill, New Jersey. She's the daughter of a wealthy scientist, Vernon Van Dyne. Her family is tragically killed by an alien entity unleashed because of one of her father's experiments. And Jeanette turns to Dr. Hank Pym for aid. And she convinces Hank to help her avenge her father's death. This is when she's going to undergo the biochemical procedures and grafts to become the wasp. This is where she's going to be able to grow her wings when she shrinks to under four feet tall. She is going to use pin particles at this point. Interestingly enough, in this early part of her history, she rarely uses any offensive weaponry. She rarely uses offensive powers. She's kind of there and she sees things and says things and suggests things and she's not really fighting though she's she uses a pin sometimes as a weapon which is not very very good it's going to take till the 70s when she's going to get a little energy pistol and eventually she'll she'll get the blasts and become a fighter but it's a long road to that after her and hank defeat the alien that killed her family Jeanette has found herself in love with Dr. Pym, and she stays around as his sidekick, though he is not receptive to his advances at first because she reminds him of his first murdered wife, Grim. So she's going to pal around with Hank. They're going to fall in love. They're going to defeat, you know, various schemes and plots, and they're going to join the Avengers. Early on in Wasp's Avengers career, she's going to catch a stray bullet and be wounded in a battle against Count Nefaria. She will nearly die from a collapsed lung here. Due to this, she's going to leave the team, and she's not going to return until Avengers number 26. This is when her powers are going to have progressed to the point where she no longer needs Pym Particles. After she rejoins the team, she finds herself kind of hoping that Hank is going to propose to her, but it's just not quite happening. And then a new vigilante breaks into Avengers Mansion, claiming to have killed Hank Pym. And of course, this vigilante is going to be Yellow Jacket. Yellow Jacket, of course, did not kill Dr. Henry Pym. No, he is Dr. Henry Pym. He's had a psychotic break, and he has he now has a leaning villainous vigilante form known as Yellow Jacket. He's not a good guy. Despite this, Jeanette is going to marry Hank. And of course, in true comic book fashion, the wedding is going to be disrupted by an attack from the Circus of Crime. This is when she will realize that Yellow Jacket is actually her new husband, Hank Pym. Man, with a red flag like that, you just got to get out. Oh no, Hank Pym. 
Yeah, I do not like him. So this is going to bring us into the 70s. She's going to begin the decade on a departure from the team after all the dramatics of her wedding. When she returns, she's going to become a member of the Lady Liberators. But briefly, she's going to leave the team. After leaving the team, she will be temporarily trapped at Insect Size and Battle Whirlwind, Paraman, and Dr. Nemesis. She's also going to battle Equinox alongside Spider-Man and Yellow Jacket. And this is when she's going to gain her Stinger Blast. So she again is going to take a break and she's going to come back and she's going to approach the Avengers about her husband, Hank. She's going to talk to them about his kind of split personality, his psychotic break and becoming Yellow Jacket and how she's worried that he's going to attack his former teammates. While she's attempting to help Henry, she's captured and brainwashed by Henry, and then she's used by Ultron as a template to create Jocasta. She's going to be rescued when Jocasta alerts the Avengers to her location, and Black Panther is going to suggest that the AI's ability to reach out to the Avengers was brought out because of Jeanette's personality breaking through. This is going to go ahead and bring us into the 80s, and Jeanette is going to discover that Hank is... (laughs) He's now a paranoid, overbearing, and verbally abusive man, and he's he's concocted a plan to make himself look good in front of the Avengers by staging an attack that only he can stop. When Jeanette attempts to talk him out of this, he's going to strike her in anger. She then divorces him and takes a very brief break from the team. When she returns to the Avengers, she says that the team needs new leadership, and she nominates herself for the role of chairperson, and she's going to be elected to that position by Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America. She's going to prove to be a natural leader. She's going to bring the amount of women on the team up, She's going to recruit She-Hulk. She's going to recruit Monica Rambeau, Captain Marvel at the time. There's a name you've all been familiar with over the last couple months. And at the same time, while leading the team, she's going to start working in earnest as a professional fashion designer. And that's part of of her friendship with She-Hulk is going to be designing clothes for She-Hulk, which I, guys, I just, I'm excited to get into the She-Hulk episode. I know I've been saying it, but it's just, I think it's going to be so much fun. Well, and there's DNA here, Chris, of, you know, what we're going to talk about a little bit later in strategy, but Jeanette being on She-Hulk's team. Oh, that's perfect. That makes me so happy. Being in the fashion world is going to put her back in, you know, high-end social circles, and she's going to begin a whirlwind romance with Tony Stark, and she's going to learn that he is Iron Man. She quickly breaks the relationship, says she cannot date a colleague who is a friend of her ex-husband. She will later begin a relationship with Paladin, though they rarely see each other due to being superheroes. She's going to go ahead and, you know, hand the team off some, go on adventures by herself. She's going to be the leader of the Avengers. It's going to go back and forth kind of for the rest of the decade. Eventually, she's going to find herself in the West Coast Avengers, and and as a reserve member is kind of how she's going to end the 80s. In the 90s, she's going to find herself returning to the Avengers first as in reserve, and later as a full member of the team. During the Destiny War, and this is going to be one of my recommended reads, actually, so I'm not going to spoil too much of it, but Janet is going to find herself... At the center of a team composed of five different time periods. So it's going to be Avengers 
plucked from different points in the Avengers timeline, and it's it's very cool. Uh, in the 2000s, she will once again take up leadership on the Avengers and continue that strong drive for more female presence on the team. This is when active female membership will actually outweigh active male membership for the first time in Avengers history is during her tenure there, which I think is very cool. She will participate in Justice League of America and Avengers crossover. I'm not going to go into that right now, though. Next, uh, she is going to be the catalyst for the Avengers disassembled period uh, in in the Avengers timeline when she is a slightly tipsy wasp is going to she is going to remind Wanda of her own children that Agatha Harkness erased from Wanda's memory this is going to lead into Wanda's mental breakdown and Avengers disassembled Janet will be knocked into a coma by a rampaging she-hulk uh, during an attack on Avengers Mansion by Wanda, where Hank will watch over her in the hospital, and when she recovers, they will reconcile, and they will retire from the Avengers to pursue a new life together in Oxford. So she will continue to show up and be involved in in several storylines here and there, but for the most part, and in, in, the, in the 2010s especially, she's going to be kind of, kind of a background character, but uh, one of my recommended reads is from the 2010s. It has been a recommended read before. So just know that it's not bad. It's still good. We just don't have time to get to it today. But maybe we'll be able to on another episode. Okay, Chris. Well, that was a very good summary of another legacy character. I think you get all the main storylines because, man, some of these characters have been around this long. It is truly very difficult, guys, to get information to you from us here to you listening right now. So I commend Chris on that. And you know, she's, she's an important character though. She's not maybe in the forefront all the time. She is a very important character. And you know, what I try to do on these legacy characters is give you a good sense of the character, maybe not the, the who's and what's and what years and what issue it happened, but a sense of the through line for that character through their many years of existence. And hers is definitely that she is a very good person. She's a very good leader, a, a very reasoned and sound tactical combat leader. And she, I mean, she's very popular as well. Right. She's a powerful woman and uh, very cool. Well, once again, Chris, like we talk about, you know, some of the missteps in early Marvel when coming to representation and things like that. But truthfully, you do got to give credit where credit is due sometimes with Marvel. And it's like there are characters like Jeanette and like Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff, and many other characters. Oh, She-Hulk, especially She-Hulk. Especially, but I'm just talking about just longevity of time. Like we've talked about Storm recently and just how prolifically loved and represented Storm was from the moment she came out and has not gone away. And how she's making these like top 10 lists of superheroes of all time beating out like Wonder Woman and stuff. I mean, it's just a testament to the design of these some of these early female characters and just how great of characters they are. Well, it's also a testament to Marvel's creativity. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of coming to fruition. This is this is what happens when you have Saturday morning cartoons based on the X-Men, and now those folks that were watching those are in their 40s, 30s, mid-20s. Right. You know, that that's that mark that those that those excellent cartoons that we all know and love, that's that mark they leave. Absolutely. 
no, you've inspired a lot of people to continue this work and make more, of course. And well, and I think it's great because these characters rock. We don't just need the same the same five or the same no. big three over and over again. This, the, these pulp characters have to change, and it has the worlds have to evolve. Absolutely, Chris. So moving on to the MCU, and of course Janet in the MCU. It gets very interesting right off the bat. So we talked about last episode how they chose to go the Scott Lang route with Ant-Man, even though Hank Pym's story in the MCU, that version of Hank Pym is nestled throughout the movies and, of course, through the Ant-Man movies. And I think that's great as well. As Chris said, Grandpa Pym, Grandpa Ant-Man is there. We kind of get his story. Well, and it's it's clear why they did it, and I'm glad they did do it to you know avoid the problematic... Um reasons why the divorce happened in the first place you don't have to see that dealt with in the mcu and i for one am okay with that i would agree chris but also you know taking a glass half full sort of look at this too like i do think it's super interesting that hank pam and original wasp as in Jeanette van dyne are the some of the only truly legacy characters in the mcu as in they were superheroes in the 60s and now they are old. And I think that's a really interesting choice they did with these characters because that's not the case with Iron Man. You know what I mean? In the MCU. Like, we've talked about this in comics before. Certain characters are kind of ageless. Certain characters just always kind of say a certain age for the sake of comics and then retconning happens, all these sorts of things. I just find it super interesting the MCU actually did Hank Pym and Janet, but like they were told through the lenses of Scott Lang and Hope. And that's what's really interesting. Like we haven't got that in the the MCU yet because technically everything in the MCU outside of Captain America in 1940 starts around 2008. And that's kind of a strange and interesting choice they did with the Ant-Man franchise. And this is kind of our one moment to talk about it. And Jeanette Van Dyne is no different in that because we kind of get both generations of the Wasp in the MCU. So of course in Ant-Man 1... We get Scott Lang's origin story, but we also get Hope Van Dyne's origin story. And then, of course, Ant-Man and the Wasp, we actually see kind of the backstory of the original Ant-Man and the original Wasp. And then, of course, Hank Pym finding the original Janet in the quantum realm. They reconcile like she's been there for 30 years, which is awful. And they're a family again. But it's just funny, like the way they go forward is Hope is now the new Wasp and she just is the Wasp. Then, of course, Jeanette Van Dyne is played by Michelle Pfeiffer. And, of course, Hope Van Dyne is played by Evangeline Lilly. And, first of all, great casting on both characters. Yeah, man, I, I really enjoyed all the Ant-Man movies. And Michael Douglas is as this version of Hank Pym, too. Yeah, it's very cool. So, it's kind of hard to talk about this character in the same way because, similar to Scott Lang... Today in MCP, we're doing Jeanette Van Dyne, but truly in the MCU, she plays a smaller role until the family is reunited at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, and hopefully we see more of her in the future. But Hope is really the Wasp in the MCU, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And to put Scott Lang as Ant-Man, which was the correct choice, you were going to have to do something like this. So yeah, it, it, it makes sense. Not a bad thing. Well, I think it's cool too. Like that whole le- legacy thing I mentioned. Like, I just think it's cool that we actually have certain superheroes in the MCU that actually line up with their original le- release dates. You know, like they show Hank and Jeanette like dismantling 
the bomb, the, the, the nuclear bomb and, you know, the first Ant-Man, like in a flashback, you know? Right. And I think there's room for them to explore that more too, that, you know, maybe first generation of superheroes, but we'll see if they do that. That would probably be way down the line. And they did some nods of that, like an end game when Steve and Tony go back in time to the military base and like Michael Douglas is there completely de-aged looking like he's in the eighties again. And he's playing, young scientist Hank Pym, you know, developing Pym particles. So like there's little nods here and there to that, but it's just interesting. I'm curious how they go forward, Chris, because of course, Hope is definitely in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. That's Ant-Man 3. So I'm just looking forward to more of these characters, how they bring them in the MCU. It'll be interesting. She was a great character to Paul Rudd's Ant-Man. Like they, they were a great pair together and like a great clash too early in the Ant-Man film, the first Ant-Man film entirely. So all in all, great acting, great casting choices. And I'm looking forward to the future of this kind of the Ant-Man family and how they pursue it. Because now we know Cassie will be in the third Ant-Man film also. So it's just going to be a fun, like (laughs) Ant-Man and Wasp family team. Family adventure, huh? I'm into it. So, Chris, closing out our lore section, it's time for those comic book recommendations. All right, guys. The first one I'm going to recommend is Avengers Forever by Kurt Busiek and Carlos Pacheco and Uncanny Avengers by Rick Remender and John Cassidy. Very good. She comes up in a lot of these stories. Oh, she plays a big role in both of these stories, and they're both just really good. All right, Chris. Well, we couldn't ask for more than that, so let's get over to strategy. Once again, listeners, if you joined us last episode, this is a character with transformation. So we're going to kind of cover the card in a slightly different way. Just stick with us, but we're going to go through her stats on her normal side and then her stats on her tiny side, then her attacks and superpowers on her normal side, and then her attacks and superpowers on her tiny side. So Wasp, her alter ego is Jeanette Van Dyne. On her normal side, she has a medium move and a height of two. And on her tiny side, she has a long move and a height of one. Her defenses are three physical, two energy, three mystic. She has a stamina of five and a threat cost of three. And on her backside, Chris, nothing changes. She has a stamina of five, giving her a stamina of 10 total. So what are your initial thoughts on the Wasp's dual stats? I love the long move when tiny, you know, that represents the wings that she grows when she shrinks. Great touch. Otherwise, you know, knowing what I know about Ant-Man from last week, this is going to be an interesting, interesting card. Yeah, they have very similar stats, though Ant-Man, when he is tiny, he goes to short movement, but he also has that hitch a ride with Antony. So mm-hmm. they've got a lot of interesting changes, but innately she is faster on her, just her baseline movement. But though Ant-Man getting that free hitch a ride does put a wrench in things, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Her first and only attack on her normal side is a physical attack called size changing smackdown it's a range three which is awesome strength of five zero power cost after this attack is resolved wasp gains power equal to the damage dealt after this attack is resolved this character may transform into wasp tiny if it transforms it drops all objective tokens it is holding before it transforms so chris right off the bat her punch on her normal side is one more than scott lang's and it's also range three because of her wings it's pretty great 
Nobody said Scott Lang was a, a fighter. You know? It's true. One is not an electrical engineer to be a fighter. No, sir. So that is it for her attacks, Chris, on her normal side. So let's just get into her superpowers. Her first superpower is an active superpower called Change Size. Looks familiar with Scott. It also costs one power, the same as Ant-Man's. This character may drop all objective tokens it is holding. Then it transforms into Wasp Tiny. The Change Size superpower can be used only once per turn. Her next superpower is going to be Pim Discs. It's going to cost three power. Choose an interactive terrain feature of size 3 or less within range 2 and throw it medium. The superpower can only be used once per turn. Very nice. Size 3 terrain and lower is exceptional. Obviously, throwing characters is better than terrain, but that's large terrain, Chris. And it's really cool a 3-threat can do this. I love throwing terrain. I like putting as many characters on the field that can throw terrain. This is great. Right. And Scott cannot throw any terrain or other characters. So we already have a big change right there. Stupid Scott. (laughs) Her next superpower is a reactive superpower called Pim Particle Control. Looks similar to Scott's. Costs one power. When this character is targeted by an enemy attack or would suffer a collision, you may use this superpower. Wasp drops all objective tokens she is holding and then transforms into Wasp Tiny before the attack or collision continues. She also has the innate superpower Flight on her normal side. So once again, Chris, this is the same power Scott has. He can transform Tiny when being targeted. It is nice. It can give you cover and things like that. But more importantly, it's giving you that little teleport which I really do like. And you can kind of reposition and get ready for next turn. Also, I think it's a great way to change size instead of changing size on your turn, you know? Like you change size when you have to, or, you know, rather than just, oh, I'm going to pay one on my turn and do it. Ideally, you don't change size ever, we talked about. You really just want to be doing your your attacks that are changing your size because that's really the fun of these characters. But sometimes you're just going to have to change size outside of an attack because you just can't perform one. This keeps it efficient. All right, let's move on to her tiny side now. We're going to start with her first attack. It is an energy attack. It is called Stinger Blast. Is a range 2, strength 5, power cost 0 attack. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. The target character does not gain power for the damage dealt by this attack. So a little bit of power denial there. Always cool. Yeah, this is even better than her normal punch because first of all, it's an energy attack, which we know is less represented in the game on characters on their defenses. So it's already just better by default. And then, you know, they don't gain power when you attack them with this. So I, I'm a big fan of this strike, Chris. Though super interesting and great balance, her strike on her normal side is physical, but it's range three. Her strike on her tiny side is energy, but it's range two because she's got to be closer because she is that tiny version of herself. Her next and final attack on her tiny side, because she does have two attacks on this side, very interesting, is Wasp's Fury. It's a range three, six strength, cost two power attack. After this attack is resolved, Wasp may advance medium. After this attack is resolved, this character transforms into Wasp normal. It is not optional. Kind of a bummer, but still a pretty good attack. Yeah, six dice is nothing to scoff at, especially at range three, and free movement out of this. It's really great. So you could potentially Wasp's Fury for six dice, advance medium, then you go normal, and you could just strike on your normal side with your size-changing smackdown for five dice physical, and then transform back to tiny and teleport range one. That's not a bad turn. It's not terrible. That's 11 dice. 
Some movement baked in. Not bad at all. It's a medium move and a base size, and then a range one and a base size. So it's a lot of movement. If you like lay out a bunch of bases on the table and you know the templates between it, it's not bad. Yeah, while you're throwing those dice at the at the bad guys, come on, that's good, man. It's really good. Her first superpower on the tiny side is going to be change size again. It's going to be the exact same as change size on the other side. That's right. Pay one, drop all objectives you're holding, turn into your normal size. How exciting. Can be used only once per turn. I don't think you're going to ever do this on this side in particular, Chris. Like, ever. It just doesn't make sense unless it's just a weirdly wacky situation involving... Tokens. You know, uh, tokens, exactly. That's the only time you're going to do it. Like, you're going to transform big to pick something up, and what a thematic thing. Yeah, and but, you know, the power has to be there. It can't just... Oh, absolutely. Can't just... Yeah, I can't just not have it, even though theoretically you're not going to use it or you hope to not even need to use it. Right. But ideally, you, of course, do your strike or you just do Wasp Fury for two instead of one. So like instead of paying one for change size, if you have two, why would you not Wasp Fury? Right. And then get that free right. movement, get a six dice attack and then transform. There's a lot of what's and ifs and how's and you know situations with these characters that are way more complex than they even sound on, on the card. But you've got to wrap your head around these ideas and hopefully we're giving you an idea of it. So Chris, she's got three innate superpowers on this side. So I'll just read through these real quick and then we can discuss. She has tiny superhero, exactly the same as Scott. Wasp may reroll any number of defense or dodge dice. Additionally, this character cannot hold objective tokens. So once again, that means that Ant-Man and Wasp, they cannot hold objective tokens as in the extracts, but they contribute to the secures. The objectives that are always stationary on the map, they still contribute in tiny form, which is just really great because they're getting all these defensive re-rolls when they're tiny. And just closing her out, Chris, she has stealth. Characters must be within range three of Wasp to target it with attack. So when she's tiny, just you got to be in range three or less to target her. And then of course, she's got flight on the side as well. So she's got a lot of mobility, but in a completely different way than Scott. She does. And like Scott, I don't see much point in her being normal size very often. I I think you're going to want to keep her tiny as much as you can. You've got that long movement. You've got the big attack to transform that bakes in movement. It just add the stealth, add the tiny superhero. Yeah. Just doesn't make sense. Well, the one thing she's got going that Scott doesn't have on her normal side she has a pretty nice throw. That's very true. You're always bringing up these points. <laughs> Go against mine. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding, man. Conversely, Chris, I will point out some obvious and interesting things here. If she has power, she is a much more powerful superhero than Scott. Oh, yeah. If Scott has power, though, we already talked about it last episode. I'm just going to say it again because it is relevant. We're talking about these characters side by side because they are so similar, but they are so different. If Scott has power, though, he just gets anywhere on the board he wants period. So they've got different play styles. She is more consistent with her movement, but Scott just insanely mobile no matter what. It's almost like if you're just taking move actions with her, obviously it's great because she's a medium and long with flight, which is just great. On this show, we always praise a long mover and a long mover that has wall crawler or flight is the most Mm -hmm. mobile character in the game as a baseline move. That's just how the game is made. What's interesting though is like if Scott's tiny, he doesn't take an action to move. He just rides Antony for free 
right? So then he's still got his actions. So there's a lot of interesting things going on with these characters. Wasp does more damage, but Scott has that big spender beam attack, right? That could potentially do a lot of damage and more importantly, do conditions. So she's a more consistent damage dealer. She's a more consistent just mover and the basic sense of the game. But then Scott's this weird teleporty, you know, mobile character. And she's kind of more of a baseline kit character with cool moving shenanigans like Scott, just not quite as extreme, if that makes sense. And then you add a throw on top of that, and you've just got a really nice three threat. Yes, she's definitely more of an all-around character. She's going to fit on more teams. I think you're going to see her more. And where Scott is going to be more that niche pick for where a team that lacks mobility just really, you throw Scott in, you have some dice out there, but for the most part, he's going to be very mobile and keep his nose clean and just get where he needs to. Right, Chris, because I'll talk about like our last episode, we talked about Scott, like we talked about how you're just going to strike with him and not count on getting power, but just count on being able to transform. Right. And if you get power, it's like, oh, you just won double, right? Because you're, oh, you got a free transform out of punching someone and then maybe you got some power. Inversely, her strikes, five physical and five energy. And, you know, the five energy one does not give them power. She's got some really nice building strikes attacks and then of course i think wasp fury is is nice like her doing a six strength attack but then getting a free advance medium yeah that's that's so good really nice but they're just interesting sides of the same coin it's really what flavor do you want i personally love both characters and i'm trying to find more places they both fit so let's not also forget too chris that her and scott both share a tactics card pim particles it is an unaffiliated card it is an active card ant-man or wasp may spend two power to play this card choose another allied character within range three of ant-man or wasp then choose an interactive terrain feature of size three or less within range three of the chosen character the chosen character throws the terrain feature medium yeah it's really strong i mean it's essentially her pim discs type ability right but can be used by her or a man when you're not throwing from her which is nice too it's just a really good card lore wise and it's a really good card in the game yeah i'm a fan like somebody is throwing something small someone like captain america is throwing a traffic cone or something like we look at the art and then Ant-Man and Wasp are throwing pen particles up there to make its mass increase, and then it's just crushing somebody. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of that. But more importantly, it's a text card that her and Ant-Man both can use. So you, of course, are going to bring it if you have both of them in your 10 character roster. Curious on when you take it in your five. You know, that's the curious and difficult thing about this game every time. So moving on past that, Chris, we've got to talk about what we always finish our strategy discussion on. What teams does Wasp fit on? And here's what's great. She is affiliated right now with two teams. So one more than Scott. So Scott is just a affiliated Avenger. She is an affiliated Avenger. She is also an affiliated member of the A-Force. Well, I think she's going to be a staple member of my A-Force crew. I also have a weird want to... I want to see her in Wakanda. Of course, in some of the more recent comics, she was in the um, Agents of Wakanda series. And I think she fits in well with the Wakanda team. I would agree. Rerolls are fine for her. Yeah. And I think she fits in well there with her mobility as well. Mm -hmm. 
just something I want to mess around with. But it's cool that it also kind of fits lore-wise. Absolutely, Chris. And I will mention, like we just did in our Ant-Man episode, Ant-Man and Wasp both kind of got overshadowed by so many releases that came out in the fall. The addition of the Spider-Foes, the addition of the Web Warriors, finally, the addition of the Criminal Syndicate, the addition of the Defenders in Doctor Strange and Wong. All these releases happened so quickly. Ant-Man and Wasp were kind of overshadowed. And I think they were more overshadowed by the fact that they both were only affiliated in Avengers at that time. Now Wasp is a A-Force member, as she should be, which is great. And we talked about that today in our lore, her interactions with She-Hulk. And She-Hulk being the leader is so neat. More than just her being affiliated with A-Force, I think she's a great addition to that team. Like Chris said, I think she's going to be on my rosters as well, because the way A-Force works is when you attack someone on the A-Force team, someone else on their team receives power. This is great for Wasp. If she has a lot of power, she can do a lot of things. And I think that's one of her biggest weaknesses, but also one of her biggest strengths if she has the power. Also, Avengers. She actually can take benefit of the Avengers ability, unlike Scott. Unfortunately, all of Scott's superpowers cost one. The Avengers affiliation says reduce by one to a minimum of one. Well, she has PIM discs for three, so she can throw for two which is pretty nice. You always want to get value. It's tough taking Scott on the Avengers just because he can't use that leadership ability at all, or at least he can't make use right. of that leadership ability at He's all. He's just giving you affiliation, essentially. It's fine. It's something, but it's it's not everything it could be. And Wasp yeah. kind of checks that box. She does. And I also think she, of course, is a great addition to the A-Force. I think her getting more power as the game goes on you know, they're kind of a ramp affiliation. Like more the game goes on, the more the enemy attacks you, the more power you will have by late game as the A-Force. And I think that's really good for Wasp. And, you know, similar to Chris, Crossbones not necessarily having a great home until the Criminal Syndicate came out. Wasp and Ant-Man were in similar situations, though Ant-Man has found his home in the Criminal Syndicate. Wasp has found her home in A-Force because she's a fine Avenger. It's very thematic. It's probably very exciting for a lot of people that are original Avengers readers and lore people, but play style wise, the A-Force fits her really well. Absolutely. I'm so excited to get that team out there. Oh, she's got to be in your 10. Oh, 100%. And I'm, I'm excited for them to add to the A-Force too. There's just so many great characters that will be coming soon. I just know it. I can't wait. And I hope so too, Chris. And, you know, a couple mentions of other teams she fits. Once again, I mentioned I really like Ant-Man and the Web Warriors because characters that already have defensive rerolls getting more defensive rerolls seems great. Same with Wasp. She's a great Web Warrior as well. Also, Chris, I've got to mention in A-Force, there is a card called Special Delivery, which is our original card drop-off, but just for She-Hulk. And it's a character with flight drops off She-Hulk. Ooh, buddy. Well, there you go. You're using Wasp to drop off She-Hulk. I think it's great. It's thematic with their friendship they had, of course, in the comics, but of course, within the team. So I think she fits a lot of places. I mean, you could also bring her into affiliations like the Cabal, like the Criminal Syndicate, just like Scott. She does not mind sitting on points and counting as two. And that's really obnoxious. Also, the Cabal, if she gets some good attacks off with these fairly high dice attacks for a three threat, she's giving herself more power to do more things. So I truly think she fits a lot of places. I just think the game has moved so fast. And then you add a, a very difficult character to play on top of that, just like Ant-Man. And, you know, just her and Scott got overshadowed by some other releases. And I think we're going to see more of them in the future. I can't wait. 
Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Catch us streaming Marvel Crisis Protocol and other board games at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest. Make sure to follow us there, guys. We're really looking forward to streaming again when the lockdown improves. You can follow us on social media. Check us out on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. Email us with any inquiries at Fury's Finest at gmail.com. And also, we mention it every time, we're going to continue to mention it. Every time one of you at home leaves us a review on Apple Podcasts, it helps us out so much. So thank you for that. And if you have not left us a review on Apple Podcasts, please do. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And please remember to help spread the word about our show. Rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow Chris and I on social media. You can find me, Jesse, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. I also have a Star Wars podcast called The Canon Cantina, all about Star Wars, canon, lore, and much more. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T, where I actually tweet now. It happened. It's true. I can confirm. It finally happened. Chris, this has been a fun kind of mini two episodes we had here of the insect people. It was really nice to talk about them strategically, especially. Their lures, uh, you know, neither one gets me too excited, but it was very fun to talk about such complicated characters and, and really wrap our heads around it. Yeah, I hope this was hopefully helpful and enjoyable to you at home. It's been really fun for me to learn more about these characters, not only in lore but of course in strategy and just get these characters at the table give them a shot they're really fun the models chris are completely striking we talked about it briefly on scott lang but you know once again this week with jeanette van dyne having a tiny wasp on your table it's just amazing it's just a beautiful thing like atomic mass is really doing nice and fun things with this game and these tiny versions of these characters was so unexpected and so fun they could have easily just done like a token you put on them to to show their in tiny form. Yeah, above and beyond like we've come to expect from AMG. Yeah, and like wasp wings being a different material that's translucent see-through plastic instead of it being like the standard resin. It's just so cool. Like it just fits the character as well. And I'm a big fan. So something we can't praise enough. And so I'll praise here, but I'm looking forward to, you know, once again, not doing X-Men, something different next week. So we hope you will join us. But until then... Thanks for listening, True Believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything will surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 